Welcome to the Blackcast, Christian Blatt on Twitter and Instagram at ChristianDMZ, and you can follow at Blackcast, like the Blackcast on Facebook, and of course, we have Blackcast.com for all of your Blackcasting needs. That's B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T dot com. I always say that the Blackcast isn't for everyone, but for every person, I bet there's an episode of the Blackcast that they can enjoy. So if you don't like an issue-by-issue breakdown of the Uncanny X-Men Dark Phoenix Saga, then maybe you want to talk about Kiss for an hour or so. Now, as listeners of this show, no doubt know, I'm a big fan of the band Kiss, and as such, I'm excited that our guest made time to chat with me today. Mark Giacchini, one of the three hosts of Three Sides of the Coin, a great podcast about Kiss that I listen to. It can be found at threesidesofthecoin.com, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spreaker, everywhere else you find podcasts. If I forgot anything, Mark, let me know. But Mark, welcome to the Blackcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, I'm honored. Nice to be on. Now, I figure the obvious place to start would be when did you first hear Kiss uh, and kind of your thoughts compared to other bands that maybe you liked at the time? Oh, that's uh, pretty fascinating stuff here. I, I, I live in the, the Detroit area, and uh, I have older brothers and sisters. I'm 52, so uh, you do your math. In 1975, I was 10. <laughs> um, but by the time I was probably seven or eight, I was bitten by the music bug because music was a big deal here in the Detroit area. And one of the activities that uh, young teens and kids did back in the day, this is, keep in mind, youngsters out there who may be hearing this, we didn't have that internet thing. And we didn't have, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, all those flashy hand toys and stuff. We, We went outside and played. (laughs) <laughs> but one of the biggest activities that you could do year-round was roller skating. And I was a big roller skater. And one of the reasons was I started playing hockey when I was four. So by the time I was eight, nine, ten, I, you know, I could skate really, really well, better than most. I remember being like the only kid in my school who played ice hockey. So, you know, skating and I could skate backwards and I was just a natural skater. Um, I still play hockey at a competitive level now at 52, so. Anyways, how does that tie in? Well, easy. When you were a kid and you were at the roller rink, the thing you did most was roller skate to songs. And they would have DJs in there with 45s and records. And I gravitated towards what would eventually be termed heavy metal. But back in like 73 and 74, when I was eight, nine years old, I liked stuff like Alice Cooper. I I remember going up to the DJ and requesting Smoke on the Water and BTO, Bachman Turner Overdrive, taking care of business, and uh, you ain't seen nothing yet. And, and you know, when you kind of boil all that stuff down, you know, it's just that hard-driving sound. Um, also, when I was a kid, I was really into um, Universal Monsters. I used to build all the monster models. I used to read Famous monsters from Filmland. Oh, I was just really into all that sort of stuff. 
So anyways, my older brother, Michael, came home one day. Um, this would have been in the fall of 74 with this album called Hotter Than Hell, which was newly released. And I took one look at the cover. And I'm like, hey, that looks pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, then he put it on. And, and I vividly remember going, wow, the visuals match the music. And, you know, like I said, being into monster models and Godzilla universe, you know, Frankenstein and all that kind of stuff, Dracula. And then, you know, being into the harder edged music or liking it. Because as a kid, I don't know if you can necessarily say you're into it, but, but that's what I gravitated to. Like, I didn't gravitate towards, you know, dance beats. I gravitated towards a, a guitar, you know. Again, having older brothers and sister, it was it was nice because, you know, my, my older brother and my older sister already were, were bringing home uh, the suite, if you remember them. Sure. And, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff, Black Sabbath, Queen. So, you know, it was around and that and that's what I gravitated to. So anyways, to make a long story short, boy, I, I took Kiss pretty quickly. And and I remember again when my my older brother brought home Dressed to Kill in the, in the spring of 75. I remember running my fingers over the 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 album jacket because the original version, uh, the logo was embossed. You know, it, it rose up off the cover. Right. I just always thought that was cool, and and by then I was, you know, Kiss was was my thing, and here I am. Was it like forty <laughs> some years later? And forty three years later, yeah. Well, still still doing. That, so. <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing too, because I think it, it it makes sense that as a kid, you know, you like the monster movies, you like rock music. It's like great. This is going to take those things and put them together. It's like I get everything all at once. And were you pretty much all in right away and did you have a favorite member or did you just like oh I like I like all the guys in the band. I like all the different looks or did somebody stand out for you? Oh no, I, I gravitated toward Gene just for those reasons. I yeah. you know, it was a pretty obvious fit if, if you're into <laughs> Dracula and, you know, yeah. blood spitting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he was your guy. So, yeah, yeah I took that pretty quick. By the time, you know, Kiss Army all kind of took place in 76, I was already, you know, I didn't know it, you know. It's it, it's it's funny, it, moving slightly forward, you know, I, I have a very large Kiss collection, larger than most, and I didn't know I was collecting. All I know is that I, I couldn't get enough Kiss. So uh, every time Kiss was in the newspaper, and here in Detroit, they were a big deal. They were a big deal early. And I was always cutting, you know, if there was any picture, and I didn't know it at the time, but I was cutting, like, ads out, like, you know, ads for concerts and ads for the records. And any time time they were in the newspaper, I'd cut it out or a magazine, and I'd just put it in this scrapbook that I made. And it's funny, you know, fast forward, you know, 40-some years later, you know, Gene Simmons just released his Gene Simmons Vault. And some of those very articles and things that I cut out in the 70s are now part part of the artwork in the in, in the book that goes with his ball because, you know, um, Kiss has come to me many times and asked me, you know, do you have this or do you have that? And whenever I do, I just let them use it. You know, it's their history. I, and I you know, I will tell you, Kiss is great to be friendly with because they've always treated me really, really well, and uh, I've always just given them anything they've needed. So you know, it's a nice friendship to have. You know, I mean, they're always great to me. 
anytime I, I can help them, I do. Yeah, and I know you've talked about that on Three Sides of the Coin before, and I think the key to having a good relationship with them is that you just give it to them, and then you don't say, well, sure, give me, you know, X amount of dollars, and then you can use it. It's just like, yeah, happy to help the band, you know, do this. And by the way, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't correct you. Uh, Gene would probably want you to say GeneSimmonsVault.com just to make sure that everybody knows where they can find it. Yeah. I <laughs> I recently interviewed Gene, um, as you know. Yeah, you I saw that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, you know, this just this says a lot about the man too. You know, uh, before we we hit, you know, record, we talked for about twenty minutes beforehand, and we were talking about, you know, politics and religion and world history, you know, things that are going on currently, very in depth. And that man is brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I like a good conversation, too. I, I, I never shy away from things like politics and religion. I, I, I went to Catholic schools. Uh, you know, I went to good schools. I went to college. And I, I like to use that tool that my parents paid so much for. So uh, it was great talking to him. And he really seemed to, to enjoy that kind of conversation, too. But it was funny. Um, they asked him, you know, how much time. He was going to allot us, and he allotted us 20 minutes. And just to let you know, there was TV stations after us, the local Fox affiliate and stuff. Those guys all got five. So, you know, it was. I thought it was really cool that you know, he gave this little dopey podcast that I do, um, you know, 20 minutes where he was given the Fox affiliate five. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I've done things for Gene in the past, and uh, Gene's taken me and my wife out to dinner a couple times over the years. And, uh, He's always been great. And again, you know, I look at it this way. You know, I was collecting because it was fun and interesting. You know, the, the guys in the band, um, they were living their lives. And they didn't have time to document it. That's what fans are for. So, you know, I never cut those clippings out and stuff like that because I thought someday I'd be able to enrich myself. Or I did it because I loved it. And being able to help the band in any way, shape, or form um, with a project that because of my passion, man, that's worth its weight in gold. I, that's, that, that far outseed any, any sort of money or Cause it doesn't, you know, I go to work every morning for money. I, I cut out kiss clippings and, you know, catalog kiss stuff. Cause I love it. Yeah. <laughs> the difference, you know? yeah. And I mean, I think you touched on something that, uh, you know, anybody who's had a chance to meet anybody, I've only ever really met Paul. He was a guest on the Dennis Miller show when I was producing it. He was in studio. He's great. He was very cool about taking pictures. You know, it was no like, oh, come on, I got to get out of here. And also, by the way, as you said, Gene had been a guest on the phone a number of times. He's always a great guest. You know, he wanted to sell whatever he was selling, but he'd talk about anything. You know, I mean, the Dennis Miller show was a political show, and uh, Gene had well, plenty I'm a big, to say. I'm a big Dennis Miller fan. Huge. Oh. Huge Dennis Miller fan. Oh, are you kidding? Matter of fact, I saw him. When he was opening, oh, I guess it was, oops, my wife was down here. Rita Rudner? Maybe he was the opener for Rita Rudner. I, mean, I love that, comedy. That sounds about right. I, I know he likes Rita a lot. And, uh, yeah, they definitely were uh, out on the road. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Dennis is just one of those guys that, you know, I've gotten to know really well in the last 14 years. I've worked on a few shows with him, and I do a sports podcast with him now as a co-host. Well, and, tell him, how come, damn it, how come him and O'Reilly never came to Detroit? You know, that's a great I question want, because I want to go to that so, yeah. so freaking bad. He never came to Detroit. I'm like, Detroit's a huge market. It, he just never came. I think I think the closest he came was I think they, they, they went to Grand Rapids, yeah. 
Michigan, which is, you know, a three-hour drive. Yeah, you know? that I, I kind of remember that because I remember him doing the show from Grand Rapids. And, yeah, you know what? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense because you can't think anything like, oh, it's the politics of the city because they did shows in San Francisco, you know, like one of the most liberal places on the planet. So that's so strange that you say that they didn't do any shows in Detroit because – would I would have in a heartbeat. My wife yeah. and I were like, oh, my God, can you please book one here? Because well, I, I love Dennis. Dennis yeah. is fun on uh, uh, E. I yeah. love that guy. And he's just, uh, it's just getting to sort of watch his mind work. You know, like he, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to write some jokes for him. And he looks at it and he thinks about it and he changes one word. And you're like, well, what difference does that make? And then you see him do the joke on camera. And you're like, wow, that one word actually made the joke a lot funnier. You know, it's just his mind doesn't work the way the rest of ours do. And uh, it's a, it's a, it's one of the, you know, and I grew up watching him on uh, SNL and I had his comedy album and just the fact that I got to work with him and I still get to work with him. It's one of those uh, strange things. Um, but steering it back to Kiss, I've told this story on the show before, but I think you'll think it's funny, Mark, that my earliest memory of Kiss is being terrified of them when they were on an episode of 321 Contact about like stage lighting or something. I think it was, yeah, I was going to say 1979. And like, I'm talking about run screaming out of the room for my mom terrified. Cause I was just like, I don't know what this is, but it's scary. But then you fast forward a few years and it's so funny that you were talking about your brother coming home with records. Uh, not a couple of records that were your favorite, but my brother came back from being an exchange student in Brazil because, you know, where else would you come back with Kiss records from than Brazil? because they're so big there he had uh, lick it up and animalize and i remember i loved the lick it up song because i was like hey i know what that song's about and i was about 10 and you know burn bitch burn it's not a great song but i just remember also i was like they say bitch in that song this is crazy and then i you know there's a kind of a much maligned period for the band on the whole but those were kind of the first couple things that I found and I'm like I, I think I really like this band you know you're about 10 years younger than me then yeah I was born in 1976 so yeah. uh yeah exa no, exactly look at that 11 year difference yeah you know I uh again Kiss was tailor made for me and I think I have a different approach than most fans now because I lived it in real time and, and what I mean by that is, I think if you became a KISS fan in 1983, and again, whenever you jump on board, it's cool, but you're not going to have the same disappointments and excitements as a fan who was started from day one, or as close to day one as you can, because, you know, KISS was my introduction to buying records and looking forward to that. Now, don't get me wrong, the first the first rock album I ever owned and, and with like with my own money or I got, you know, my birthday or whatever it was, was um, Not Fragile by Bachman Turner Overdrive. And that music is very Kiss-like. And if you're not yeah. familiar with that era of Bachman Turner Overdrive, just go listen to the title track. It's called Not Fragile, Bachman Turner Overdrive. Go to you, go to, you know, YouTube or whatever. And not that it sounds like Kiss, but it's heavy rock. You know what I mean? So I already owned a heavy rock album by the time I, I, you know, I started listening to Kiss a lot. But, you know, I started listening to Kiss and then next thing you know, I'm, you know, I'm buying all this other music that's, you know, guitar based, heavy drums, you know, uh, from Ted Nugent to later on ACDC and Black Sabbath and Purple. And, you know, I liked that kind of music. So, so Kiss, you know, even to this day, 
you know, it's nice that all those bands are still around and still part of my life, or most of them are anyway. Yeah, it's interesting because you're talking about doing it in real time. So, you know, I'm able, what I did was in the late 80s, early 90s, I started going back and I listened to, you know, the earliest albums that I like. But talk about kind of being a Kiss fan at the peak, you know, talking about like 77, 78. You have Love Gone, you have all these great albums. And then all of a sudden you start to see, you know, the, the next couple years, it's like, well, you get the solo albums and then Dynasty's got two disco songs. And then the what they like to call power pop now of Unmasked, and then of course, music from the Elder. So talk kind of about did you just figure like oh the next one is going to be back on track or, or what were your yeah. thoughts as those came yeah, along? Yeah, yeah, you nailed it right there. Now again, Kiss was huge here in in, in Detroit, just just a mega mega. They we they got radio airplay here. You know you could buy their posters and everything. You know you went to the music store, you certainly knew that uh, you know. Kiss was big in Detroit. They were everywhere. But it's funny. The first time that I ever kind of took a hit as a Kiss fan, and and I'm I guess I'm over you know, dramatizing this, but I remember when I wait I couldn't wait to watch Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park, and lo and behold, lucky me, my mom and dad went to a wedding that night, so I wasn't going to get interrupted. I'll never forget. I got on the couch with my big two liter of, of, of pop. We say pop. Yeah. <laughs> Um, big two liter of pop, you know, some, some Doritos. Saturday night, I'm 13 years old, sitting on the couch, and I'm like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> I felt like I felt like uh, was it uh, Ralphie when he got his decoder pen in the yeah <laughs> Christmas story movie? Yeah. Like, remember to drink your old Yeah. <laughs> All that for a cruddy commercial. I mean, that's how I felt when I saw Kiss Me, The Phantom of the Park. I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding. I couldn't, you know, I didn't know how to verbalize it at the time, but I just remember going, wah, wah. I'm like, this is dumb. <laughs> yeah. You know? It just, it was just stupid. And it kind of confused me. Um, the solo albums didn't bother me. I, to me, it was just more Kiss. I was happy. And yeah. I, I think all those records are really good. I, even Peters. I mean, it. it's... Not a hard rock album, but he sings very well on it. I mean, it's it's a good record. Dynasty, I didn't I didn't really have a big problem with it because, you know, there were songs like Great Expectations, you know, on on, on other records or sure. going find off a higher than hell. So you know, they did some veering here and there. Um, matter of fact, uh, you said there was you know technically there's probably three dance songs on that record. And, one of them is, I think, one of Kiss's finest moments. And speaking of Peter Chris, um, if you're not a big Kiss fan or whatever, go, go listen to Dirty Living uh, off of Dynasty. Yeah. Peter sings that and is a co-writer on that. Ace plays his ass off. He's doing backing so guitar solo work pretty much throughout the whole song. And it just it cuts like a razor. The guitar playing so good in that song. And the beat is fantastic. And just to let you know, that's the only song on the album that Peter Chris plays on. Anton Fig drumming for the rest of that record because Peter was in such bad shape. Yeah, but that song is fucking awesome. I love that song. But yeah. anyways, you know, yeah. you also had the Ace songs on there and Charisma. You know, from Gene uh, was on. You know, there's some good rockers on that, so that didn't bother me so much. But then on on Mast must have been a different. Did yeah. on on Mast was really the first time, and and I'll give you a great example. I used to record all my records onto cassettes. Onto, uh, onto cassettes, and then I, you know, I take my jam box with me everywhere. 
one vivid memory I have from 1980 is I had unmasked on one side, and I had women and children first from Van Halen <laughs> on the other side. Right. And let's just say I kind of wore out the Van Halen side, yeah. you know. Because I was with my buddies, and you wanted to, you know, everybody wants, you know, we didn't want Shandy, you know. <laughs> and and it's not that I think that stuff's bad. It's just that Kiss, you know, they tried toning down their image. They, they tried to be a pop band. And that's what I mean by in real time, because just two years earlier, you know, when Kiss Alive 2, which, you know, came out in November of. 1977, but when I say two years earlier, if you go from 1980 to 1978, sure. you know, Kiss Alive 2, Side 4, those those tunes, you know, Shock, or excuse me, Rocket Ride, and, uh, you know, uh, All-American Man, and uh, Larger Than Life, I mean, compare that to, you know, the stuff on, on Mast. It's yeah. Day. And, I, and, again, had songs like, you know, All-American man larger than life those can certainly can compete with anything and women and children first i mean they're heavy hard rock song yeah i was kind of let down you know and then i'm like okay the next record is the is music from the elder and i've, I've told this story on uh, on three sides a couple of times when that album came out music from the elder if you're familiar there was a song called the oath that opened yes and the first guitar riff just rips your face like da 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 you know. Like, yeah. I literally heard the first five seconds that turned my stereo up to 10. Ran into my, because again, kids, for you younger viewers or listeners, we didn't have cell phones. So I had to run to the closest phone in my house, which is my parents' bedroom, which was next to mine. Call my friend, who I was in a band with at the time. And, you know, I had my stereo on, so I could hear it in my parents' bedroom. I'm like, dude, fucking Kiss is back. They got rid of that, you know, pop stuff and disco stuff. They're back to being, you know, the hard rock band. Fuck yeah, I'm so excited. Hang up, go in my room, listen to the rest of the record. Next day at school, my buddy's like, wow, man, how was the rest of the record? I'm like, you don't want to know. And and that's exactly why they they changed the running order for the when they actually released it originally in the U.S. Right? They put that stuff up front instead of like you know the the fanfare and just a boy and all that because they're like we got to get people right away. I can see how you would have been misled. You know, uh, sort of somebody finding the band a little bit later. The Elder had this legendary status to it. I remember I think it was either out of print or I was just told it was out of print at one point. And I'm like, what is this album? Why is it gone? How bad could it be if they're still around? And you know, I finally got it, and I was. And there's a couple of songs that I really like, like The Oath and I, and I think Dark Light is one of my favorite Ace songs. But at the same time, you're like, what is all the rest of it? You know, what what are they trying? What are, you know, what are they trying to do? What what right. happened to Kiss at this point? Uh, for me, I'm able to just shrug and go like, well, I know they did Creatures of the Night next, but that must have been such a weird time to be a fan of the band and just go, is, is this what they are now? Like, did you just have no faith that they were going to, you know, get it back on track at that point? Did you feel like, all right, now they've just gone too far? Well, no, just because I'm a real, just in everything in life, I'm a pretty loyal guy. You know, if I like something, I stay liking it for the most part. Um, you know, from comics to Batman and all that other stuff. I just, I'm in, I'm in, you know, for the long haul. So I was always hoping that they, you know, go back and play, you know, 
hard rock. And, I, and one of the reasons, too, is that go back to 1980. It's such a pivotal year. Black Sabbath releases, releases Heaven and Hell. Ozzy releases Blizzard of Oz. The first Iron Maiden album comes out. Uh, Ted Nugent Stone's Scream Dream. You know, all the contemporaries, Van Halen, Women and Children First, all the contemporaries are kicking ass. And these are bands that, you know, were, were shoulder to shoulder with Kiss, or actually Kiss was a little ahead of them just a year or two earlier. I, I was also starting to read European rock magazines because, you know, like I said, Kiss was the seed that really made me a, a crazy record buyer because, I again, I liked heavy rock. And, and I always thought of Kiss as those same things because I always thought you could put Kiss Alive on and it would compete with anything that Van Halen or you know, anybody else did. That's, you know, it's great American hard rock. So, you know, I was hoping, you know, that they would start rocking again. And boy, was I ever, you know, rewarded. I was rewarded in spades because um, Creatures of the Night came out of that. And that's still one of my favorite Kiss albums ever. I mean, and matter of fact, the anniversary of the show here in Detroit, uh, if you're a fan of Three Sides, I, I have a saying about that <laughs> era of the band, which is the night era, yeah. which also pertains to the current band, because I absolutely love, love, love Kiss in 2018. Um, I, th- I think the last couple studio records are as good as anything they've ever done. Uh, they're kicking ass in concert. Um, Tommy and Eric play their asses off. They're true professionals. But I had that same feeling back in 1983 when I walked out of the Creatures of the Night tour that had, you know, Vinnie Vincent um, in place of Ace and Eric Carr in place of Peter Chris. I walked out, I looked at my friend, and I said, no Peter, no Ace, no problem. <laughs> because I just witnessed, keep in mind, I saw Kiss uh, again February 23rd, 1983 at Cobo Hall. Um, the last time Kiss was in Detroit, I saw them July 13th, 1979 was the time they were in Detroit last. And that was the Dynasty Tour. And I, and I enjoyed the show. It was really good. I you know, had a great time. But when I saw them on the Creatures Tour, I was right up front. And I thought Gene was going to eat my head off. I mean, he, that guy came out. And keep in mind, I'm 17 at the time. He came, he was the demon again. Whereas, you know, on the Dynasty tour, he had his big colorful cape. And, you know, it's cool and everything. But he was back in black and silver and metal and singing songs like War Machine. You know, I'm like, this guy meant it, you know. And that to this day, not just Kiss, but anybody. That's That was the best concert I've ever been to in my life. And it didn't hurt that the plasmatics opened up. Uh, Wendy O and, and the band uh, yeah. just tore it up. That was, I tell you what, that was just an incredible night of rock and roll. It has not been matched in my life before or since. That, that was the greatest concert I've ever been to. And and you know what? That's without Ace and Peter. So yeah, I, think I mean, says something. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very much aware of the no Ace, no Peter, no problem. That was why I wanted to bring this up. And you know, I know that literally just happened uh, not long ago, the anniversary of it. And like you said, you had clippings from the ad for it, and then a review where the reviewer said that the show was more the same and really boring. And I've heard you talk about that, and I'm just like, I don't understand how they could see that Kiss show. And I don't know, but I guess you know what music critic is known really for writing nicely about Kiss. I guess that's not really that much of a surprise. But it's not. And then what did he say in there? It's funny you bring that up. Oh, it was a four-year-old there with his dad. Look, I was at that show. I mean, I'm not saying the guy didn't sit next to a four-year-old. I'm not. 
I don't know. I went next to him. Yeah. Well, why would you see? Here's because this is critics. This is what critics do. Oh, there's a four-year-old there with his dad eating ice cream. Well, this band sucked. Well, you know what? There's about ten thousand other people there, and they all drove there, and all were considerably over older than four. And if you didn't notice that, that's on you, Mister Critic. That's on you. Because if that's what you're trying to convey, that this was just a bunch of ice cream eating four-year-olds clapping along to kiss songs, you only went there for one reason, is that was to poo-poo it, and you could show your other fellow critics how cool you are by poo-pooing kiss. How about this? How about, why didn't you go, if you're a music critic for Detroit Free Press, why don't you go, you know what, the last couple tours, or the last, they didn't tour because the last couple records, you know, were more in a pop and more experimental vein, but you know what, they're back to playing heavy metal again, and they're doing it quite well. And the crowd loved it, and it was a loud show, and it was an awesome show. I mean, why didn't they do that? Because that's what a music critic should have done, was go and see what the t- climate of the music you know, business is at the time, and relate it to that. Not ice cream eating four-year-olds. That, that, that kind of shit just bothers me. I mean, not only in music journalism, but, you know, again, if you're working with Dennis Miller, you know what I'm talking about. There's... <laughs> There's just a lot of people who aren't doing their job. A music critic, just like somebody that's writing, you know, about the news, a lot of times they've already written the story before the thing happens, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it's like, it doesn't matter what you actually see, you know, it's like, did you, did you even listen to the album? Did you even go to the concert? Did you actually watch this speech that the president or somebody else must have made, you know? Yeah. It's like, well, I know what I have to say, so I'm going to tailor make that to my agenda. And yeah, obviously the times have uh, never really been that kind to kiss. Uh, obviously you could clip out plenty of great stuff about them, but uh, you'd always find sort of the majority always saying like, well, I guess, I guess it's over, you know, which uh, at, at that point, it's crazy that you talk about the Creatures of the Night tour, and I've heard other people talk about it, because it seems like it was so great, but it wasn't actually particularly successful. So I guess just later that year, they do the Lick It Up record, and I know a regular point of discussion on Three Sides of the Coin is this idea whether or not Vinnie Vincent saved Kiss. And I don't know if his guitar playing saved Kiss. I do know the guitar playing came at exactly the right time, but I feel like that songwriting definitely helped save Kiss because, you know, all the songs on that album that, you know, I mean, they still play Lick It Up every show, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just like without that catchy song, the fact that they took off the makeup, it was going to be tough. I mean, there's some good songs on that album, but, you know, it's because of Vinny, right? Well, look, to be fair, and this is something I always like to bring up. Without the song Lick It Up, which Vinny was a co-writer, that album goes nowhere. They would have tanked. That's not up for debate. <laughs> if, if that song was not on that record, if Vinny Vincent didn't have the song Lick It Up, they would have gotten no airplay. And airplays would save them. And to be fair, I, I think just as a music fan and a Kiss fan, I think Creatures of the Night is a better record than Lick It Up, although I like Lick It Up quite a bit. So, yeah, I mean, Vinny certainly, his songwriting certainly did save the band. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. But if that album would have tanked, and I mean, tanked to the point where they couldn't tour, like, that's what happened with The Elder. Yeah. They couldn't tour it. Right, and I know on The Mask, they only toured in Australia. So I feel like if they'd had another record that they couldn't tour in support of, and the fact well, that, you know, some of the Creatures dates, I've heard that, you know, 10,000-seat arena, there might only be two, 3,000 there. So if they did another album that they couldn't tour in support of, it, I mean, it would have had to have been the last album. 
Well, I, I have to go back and, and correct you. Um, okay. On Unmasked, they actually toured the world pretty much, except they didn't tour. Oh, in the U.S. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I know that there was there was. They the, did Europe, the, um, yeah. you know, the U.K., yeah, in Australia, New Zealand. You know, they they went to markets they hadn't been to or hadn't been to in you know four or five years. Yeah. You know, they did tour on that. They were able to look. They couldn't tour on the Elder. Yeah, because there was a tour planned from everything that I've heard. Uh, but I guess just the the performance on that show Fridays uh, is, uh, which is funny that you know that show Fridays is known for having performances of songs from the Elder. And the sketch where Andy Kaufman pissed off Michael Richards and he like stormed off the set. That's basically like the only thing that we really know about that show is, mm -hmm. you know, kind of a big comedy moment. Thank God that, that, that those were televised, though, because, I mean, the live performances of those songs were great. But to that point, that Creatures tour, you know, not being wildly successful, obviously, it's like, all right, it's time to take off the makeup. But if people were like, they took off the makeup, who cares? The new album isn't good. Yeah, they, they wouldn't have been able to do much uh, at that point. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, obviously, you've referenced this collection that you have. And, you know, there are probably people who are KISS fans who know you from years ago at conventions and expos and things, or people who watch Three Sides of the Coin, know you have this impressive collection. Um, I'm wondering, what are some of the things that you've had the longest, like things you got from when you were a kid? And, uh, you know, maybe not even the most valuable items you have, but something that you're like, this is really cool that I still have this. Oh, that's, that's easy. I'm a big poster guy. I love um, and again, um, one of the coolest things that I, I, I collected were clippings, like advertisements for the Kobo shows from 1975, you know what I mean? So those are like things I was collecting. I have, when they played, as a matter of fact, there's a video on YouTube of, uh, January, 1977. I have the, the, the full, you know, remember when you used to open a full page newspaper, I know, almost the size of a little poster. Um, but I have, you know, for the Kobo Hall, and this is a little bit of trivia that you wouldn't think. But the Destroyer Tour, the Kiss Destroyer Tour, never played Detroit. Wow. You know, they'll check the ad. Never, they never the, the, played so for the album with Detroit Rock City on it, they don't play Detroit. <laughs> no, no. that Because uh, that album was released in March of 76, and then they released Rock and Roll Over in November of 76, you know, whatever, a few months later. And then they didn't make it back to Detroit until January of 77. But they did play Detroit for three nights in January of 76. But that was technically still the Alive Tour. Right. You know, um, matter of fact, just to get super geeky, they wore those Alive outfits through Europe through June of 76 and then as soon as they came back they started the destroyer tour proper um but they were in europe and they were playing shout it out loud and you know yeah um, in detroit rock city and stuff in the alive outfits and there's video of that on youtube as well. and that's the sort of stuff that i love about the show just little things that you know you guys all have little different bits of knowledge like that and it, it's uh, it's always interesting to find out stuff like that like that just floors me that they didn't promote Detroit Rock City in Detroit Rock City. 
Uh, yeah, I always liked posters too, and it's funny because even like at the point where like the Elder was such a weird thing, there was a record store that had a promo poster from the Elder with the whole band, and I'm like, they look so weird on this. Uh, I, I I I bought it for like I don't know two dollars or something. It was like almost nothing, and I I, I just was like, I, they look so different on it, and obviously it's not really the the way that uh, that you kind of think of the band, but I'm not a huge collector in terms of like rare items mostly just for what some of them cost but stuff like that would catch my eye sometimes if there would be an lp like the album version and it would have the posters and stuff inside i'd be like well that i want so like i have and unmasked with the poster inside so i was like because that had the poster so yeah it's funny that you mentioned the posters because especially through high school you know my wall was just wall to wall and maybe even some on the ceiling just posters for the bands i liked and uh you know there was never enough room for me to get all the posters on that i wanted to you know (laughs) Um, the guys on the show give you a hard time about not opening some of the things, but look, anybody that's collected anything, I think understands that it's like, you just can't as you know, somebody who goes to these expos and conventions, what's a good example of something that it's like completely different? Like, Oh, I might be interested in this thing, but if it's open, forget it. Um, you know, they overgeneralize. They're just, you know, they're just trying to make a bit. Uh, Sure. You know, um, certain things like I have my, my rub and play and my puzzles and all those things from the seventies, they're all open, you know? Yeah. Um, but new things, I get new stuff. I won't open it. Um, I just want to leave it pristine and display it. I also just, just so people know, I really don't collect anything now. I haven't really collected since the reunion tour. And what I mean by that is this, I don't have, like, the chip-and-dip bowl set Spencer's, you know. I don't have the Hello Kitty action figures. I don't care about that stuff. Yeah. I don't even collect it. My Most of my collection is stuff from the 70s. When the reunion tour came out, yeah, you know, I got the bug. I got the big dolls and stuff like that. But if you boil my collection down, really, I'm, I'm incredibly... Like I said, posters or everything, but music and music related stuff. That's what I still, I just spent almost $600 on a poster the other day, you know, concert posters, I, anything that relates to the band musically. And I collect everything that's related to the band musically. I don't care if it was animalized with no makeup or, you know, or the current band. Uh, or something from 74 it's all honest to god it's all equal to me if it's if it's a concert poster i want it if it's you know demos i want it if it's you know stage worn outfit or any anything that has to do with a band on stage playing or writing music or promoting their music or promoting their show that's the stuff i really really into collect collecting Put it this way, I would never like buy. I don't know, like I said, that chip and dip bowl yeah. set and shit. Like, but you know what? If there was a promo poster displaying like where you can buy that, I'd want that. <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's because it's it's something unique. It's yeah. not mass produced. See, the problem now, and, and it's not just Kiss. I'll give you a great example. Like like I, the things I was just telling you about the, the puzzles and the rubbing plays and the stuff from 1979. That stuff was meant to be played with. And that stuff was meant to be used. Whereas the stuff that comes out now, 
It's not meant to be open. That, you know, and, and you know what's going to happen? It's going to have no value because people who bought it bought it because they thought they were buying an investment. See, that's another thing with me. I don't buy any. I, I didn't spend $500 and $600 on a poster the other day thinking, God, you know what? Five years from now, I sell this thing for, you know, $650. I'm like, no, I bought it because I wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a big difference. You know, and the point of, you know, talking about things that are actually being played with, I think a perfect example would be Star Wars toys that came out when we were kids. Well, of course, you played with them. Now they're marketing them to collectors, you know, and it's like, Ooh. yeah, they're going to buy three, four of them and you're going to keep them all in a box. And like you said, they're not worth anything. You know, one of the things that we talk a lot about on the podcast when we're not talking about music is also comic books. So like the best selling comic book of all time is this X-Men number one from 1991. It sold eight million copies. Well, that's because people were hip to the idea of collecting and there were all these different covers. So people bought, you know, boxes of them but what's it worth not that much because there's eight million of them out there and plenty of people have them and you know so it's like if you buy it just for the hope that you can sell it one day you know you should just buy stuff you're going to enjoy is i guess what i'm trying to say i definitely agree with the approach you have you know i mean i well, right, tell people if you're gonna if you have a bunch of money burning a hole in your pocket right now and it's like i had this conversation with kiss me like Oh my God! I wish it could go back in time, and I, I wish I could buy a box full of Creatures of the Night tour books because you know those go for a couple hundred bucks. Sure. You know, whatever at the, at the show they were ten bucks or whatever. And I'm like, if I went fucking back in time, I'd take stack stock in fucking Apple or buy gold <laughs> at fucking ten dollars an ounce. What are you fucking retarded? I mean, I don't understand that whole concept. Yeah. I mean, if you want to make money, go to go to the stock market. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Why? What are you doing? I mean, because look, I run into plenty of fans like that. Well, I'm buying this, and I think I can sell it for that. That's all great and wonderful, and all, but I don't know. I, there's there's easier ways with less risk. <laughs> you could you could be you know if you if, if you want to do that. I, I never understood that whole thing. Again, yeah, I you know I will tell you I don't have the largest Kiss collection in the world. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm in the, the discussion, you know, uh, you want to talk about some of the larger KISS collections, you know what I mean? I, I can hold my own with most, but I also have good friends, more than a few, that have more things than I do. But I also don't, I never look at it that way. Other people do. I don't. I didn't start amassing all this stuff for any other reason than I loved it. And I'll tell you what, my friends who are the Uber collectors too, that's just, they're the same way. They didn't amass this stuff, you know, to impress anybody or to think they're gonna, you know, be a millionaire later on selling it. No, they did it because they love it. You know, right now in my room, I'm I'm looking at you know four fully dressed mannequins that have actually stage used costumes on. Yeah. And, you know, like pinball machines and promo posters. Yeah, I love that. It's just fun. So I, I, you know, I, I own my own business and I work very hard. And all this stuff that I bought, I bought after I put two kids through Catholic school, <laughs> kindergarten to college. You yeah. know, so um, that wasn't cheap either. And that always came first. Yeah, and yeah. and to that end, it's crazy because I you talked about on the show you did indeed do the Gene Simmons vault experience and 
I mean, I don't know how anybody could say, hey, that's not worth the money. If I had the money, I would love to have done that because, first of all, it just seems like a great event. But also, like you're talking about, this is music. This is music you're getting that you're not going to get anywhere else. Uh, now, I know that you have talked about having some demos and things. Uh, was there stuff on this that you had already or was it just all new stuff for you, the Gene Simmons vault? There was, there was stuff that I had already. Sure. As a matter of fact, oh, let me try and put, put this percentage wise. There's 11 CDs in that box set. I probably could fill two with stuff I already had. Right. You know, that's also in this box. But the best part about this, though, is that all the demos now didn't come through. Let's just say I, I bought some stuff off old road crew guys, and, you know. Um, and if you're if if you're kind of a seasoned Kiss fan, that's cool for something um, <laughs> yes it is but yeah I, I bought stuff off of people who are associated with kiss and some of the people who even played on some of those demos i i spent thousands of dollars with them years earlier long before gene even thought about putting this box out i had that stuff because it meant a lot to me, you know I, I wanted to hear it I, again that's that's what i'm all about and i'll tell you right now and i'm not going to discuss it but i have stuff that I bought some master reels, and I think they're pretty much the only ones in existence. And I've got a few things that that I've spent a lot of money on. Sure, I'm glad I have them. And they're preserved well, and I know that uh, at some point I'll probably give them to somebody else for uh, another thing. And if you feel us into three sides and enough, I, you know, unfortunately, I'm going to have to sell all this stuff in the next few years, and I don't want to. And it's not a monetary thing. It's just that I'm, you know, I'm aware of my mortality. And not that there's anything wrong with me, but I, I'd rather get as much money for this stuff. If I sold it myself now, because I know who to contact and, you know, how to get to the people that I know that are. See, that's another thing, too. The people who are my good friends who collect like I do and buy high end stuff, they're all these people all have good jobs and they all, you know, they're all solid people. And there's a big difference between that and people go, Oh, I wish I could have all your stuff or I could, you know, look, man, there's only way to get this kind of stuff is stuff. you, you got to be able to, you know, to acquire it. It's not cheap. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's not a snobby thing. But it's just a reality. I mean, again, I'm looking at Gene's, Boots from the reunion tour. Um, those are the actual ones worn on stage. And, you know, you can't get that's that's something you're going to get for two hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, and also and, the, and, the people that that travel in these circles, you know, they're, if they tell you they're going to spend ten grand, they're going to spend ten grand. You know, they're not people who have backed out of deals or have a bad reputation. You know what I mean? And I'm no different. I mean, I've I've spent that kind of money on stuff and. People know that if I say I'm going to buy it, I'm going to buy it. And it's my word. And, um, you know, because people ask me that, too. I'm like, oh, you know, do you go on, you know, where do you where do you go? Or I'll tell you what, some of the most high-end stuff just came to me. Because if you want to sell a high-end item, you're going to go to somebody like myself or my group of friends that I was talking about. Because you don't want to play around. <laughs> you know what I mean? If, if you've got something that, uh, you know, you're going to, you think you're going to, get five, 10 grand for, you're not going to just go to, you know, some guy you just met on the internet. You're going to go, Oh, I know so-and-so or so-and-so knows, you know, whoever. And, you know, they have costumes or they have, you know, 
all these record awards or, or something like that. And those are the people you're going to seek out. And, uh, I'm very lucky that, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to build my collection through eBay. You know, yeah. I had most of my stuff before there was an eBay, you know what I mean? Cause I traveled the country doing all these kiss expos yeah. and I put the legwork in and I put the time in and I put the, you know, the hard work in and that's how I got a collection as big as I did. I, I worked damn hard for it. <laughs> Uh, and to the end that you're talking about, sort of the idea that, you know, you should sell it before, unfortunately, you know, it gets too late. Because if, like, you know, an estate planner comes in and does it, you won't get the kind of money that you can give to your kids and all that stuff. So the idea that you selling it, you're going to definitely get the most for it. Uh, so that's uh, interesting. Not something that, that I would have thought about, but uh, it, it absolutely makes sense because, like you said, you know the people to go to. Um, so the three things that I really want to talk to you about... Uh, are, of course, Kiss, which we've already talked about for about an hour, and we'll probably talk about a little bit more before I let you go. Uh, but I also want to talk about Alice Cooper and Aerosmith. Now, to give you some perspective, in 1990, my first concert was Alice Cooper at the Ritz in New York City. So that's the Trash Tour. Then in June, two days apart, I see Kiss on the Hot in the Shade Tour, Aerosmith on the Pump Tour. So those are the first shows that I see of all three. Those are my first three concerts ever, but those are the first three shows of each of them. So those albums have kind of an added significance for me. Uh, the first thing that I wanted to ask you about is I heard you talk about just in passing that you saw Alice Cooper on the Special Forces tour which again was not a high point in his career in terms of popularity record sales. I mean his 80s Warner Brothers albums were out of print for a long time you know so it's obviously not a high point but I've also seen I guess there was a French TV special and I've also seen a bootleg. It seems like that was like a really sort of heavy tour for him and not the way that he did heavy in like 86 with, you know, Kip Winger and the band, you know, they're a different kind of heavy. So talk a little bit about that show, the special forces tour, what that was like for you. Well, first, first I, I have to, because I was there, not successful. I sold out Joe Louis arena, 23, <laughs> 21, 22,000 people. And, and the Creatures right. of the Night tour sounded like it had a huge attendance. So Detroit obviously oh, loves. Night was at Kobo. Oh, okay. Here's the difference. Kobo Hall held 12,500. If you own Kiss Alive and you look at the back, yeah. that's, Co that's the back of that's, that's Kobo Hall looking basically from the stage back. Um, for the Creatures tour, probably about 10,000. If you look at the back of Kiss Alive, um, the main floor, then you have Tier A, Tier B, and Tier C. Tier C is the very top one. Tier C was pretty much empty on the Creature Store. I remember this vividly, too, by the way, because I was right up front, and I remember turning around because, you know, it was like being on in Kiss Alive. You know? so, but I did that at all the concerts because, you know, I went to a ton of concerts at Kobo. Anyways, about 10000 for Creatures. Alice, um, in 81 on the Special Forces Tour, sold out Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis held over 20. Yeah. Double what wow. he just did. So this is where a little... You know what? I lived it. I'm a little bit older than you. Yeah, did that record tear up the charts? No, but the tour did great. <laughs> uh, you know, it was still Alice Cooper. But I want to. If you want to talk, I, I've got some very interesting things about that show. Well, I, I'm interested in hearing anything and everything about that show because well, it was uh, marketed as, and I think in one of those clips you were talking about, there's an interview. It was marketed as the Madhouse Rock Tour. It was marketed like, you know, like a hanging and, uh, you know, like he did in, on, on uh, uh, From the Inside. Excuse yeah. Me. 
it was marketed like the From the Inside tour. The advertisements had him in a straight jacket, you know, with like uh, a noose behind him, and you know what I mean. It, it was it was it was kind of like almost like you you were gonna go see Kiss in makeup, and then the unmaxed Kiss showed up. <laughs> you go, holy shit, that's not what the the board said or the yeah. said. So, anyways, I'll never forget we get to that show, and Special Forces. If my memory is correct, and I think it is. The record was not released yet, so he came out and he played a good number of songs from that record, and no one knew them because the record wasn't out yet. But he opened up with, you know, who do we think we are? Yeah. And my buddy and I just had the time of our lives. We were right up close. Uh, we had, I think it was like third or fourth row. And it was funny because we got our tickets the day of the show. Um, we were told it was sold out. We went down there anyway, got tickets at the box office, third row. We really good seats. And that show was just bizarre because it, you know, it certainly wasn't the Madhouse Rock Tour. Keep in mind by that time, too, um, the Madhouse Rock Tour was played on a thing called the Blue Gene Network. Um, it's now called The Strange Case of Alice Cooper. You can buy it. Yeah, I have the DVD of that, yeah. Okay, well, that show originally played on something on ABC TV, I believe it was ABC, um, called the Blue Gene Network. It was a short-lived, almost like a Don Kirshner's rock concert, if you know what that, what that Sure, is. yeah. Well, the same ads they used for that, again, with Alice in the Straight Jacket, and that was that's how they promoted the, the new tour. And Joe Perry Project was one of the opening bands, and I think it was a band called Spider, if you're a Kiss fan, that was Anton Fig fan. It was Spider with a Y, Joe Perry Project, and Alice Cooper at Joe Serena. And that was a fantastic show. Wow. Yeah. But it was wild when he when he came out because he didn't look like Alice Cooper. I don't know what he looked I mean, if you look at the pictures now, you still can't. I mean, oh, I mean, he's he's so skinny, and he has he doesn't have the black eye makeup. He has uh, he has like you know I don't know like like a lady's makeup, and you know I think for years he always said that all he ever did was drink. But then he had that super duper Alice Cooper documentary he was a part of, and he admitted that I mean because if you look at how skinny he was, you're like you don't get that way from drinking, but. Whatever, you know, I think he was just embarrassed that, you know, and he said he was embarrassed that he became a, a, a drug addict, you know, from cocaine and everything. But, uh, yeah, he looks so much unlike him. But then I know that he didn't tour again for a while because he's said that he doesn't remember the next couple albums, you know, uh, Zipper Catch a Skin and Dada. You know, it's like oh, he'll. I, I love those. I, there's stuff I really like on both of them. And uh, like uh, Zorro's Ascent, I think, is the first song oh. in Zipper Catch a Skin. I'm like, this is oh. great. Hey, yeah, I love that too. Yeah. And well, it's funny because uh, all joking aside, um, when you when you told me where your starting points were concert-wise, like my heart broke for you. But that's I, just me. No, and that's actually why I mentioned it to you because I've heard you sort of talk about all these things. Is Pump you know the last one I went to, and I'm like, this is this sucks so bad I can't even <laughs> fucking go again. I put it this way: I saw I saw Aerosmith in 2016 for the first time since Pump. Since Pump, because oh, I wow. thought we sucked so bad on the Pump tour, it was just so sanitized yeah. and just so everything that I. Again, I was an Aerosmith fan in real time. You know, again, when I, like I said, back in 75, and I'm going roller skating, fuck, man, uh, that, that's right, when Toys in the Attic came out. I was a mega huge Aerosmith fan, saw them all the time, loved Aerosmith. 
still do. But Ice Boy Aerosmith, we could talk hours on them just yeah. alone because I think Aerosmith, out of all the big bands from the seventies, is the only, only seventies great hard rock band that has not redeemed themselves. Because I think the last even listenable Aerosmith album was probably half of Permanent Vacation. Because I like like that song. It's really St. John's really good on that record. Yeah, I like Hangman's Jury. There's a few that... Uh, yeah, I, I, I like that and, and album. Or, even in Pump, I, I like um, Voodoo Medicine. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a cool song, yeah. Well, because that sounds like Aerosmith yeah. to me. Not, you know, not Angel, not Love in an Elevator, not... Yeah. Crazy or amazing. Oh, it's, I call it MTV or Smith. I can't, I can't even stomach that stuff. Yeah, no, I know. And and the interesting thing was, like, I liked Pump. I liked the songs on it. I saw them live. I was excited. But the next album, Get a Grip, I'm like, mm, I liked a couple songs on it. But yeah, there were like the Alicia Silverstone videos and everything yeah. after that. I'm just like, I, I don't quite know what happened. But the thing about finding the band in the late 80s or you know, 1990, was that I did go back and I was like, well, I, I still like Pump, but sure, Rocks, Toys in the Attic, Draw the Line, they're, Live Bootleg especially I love. Those are all much better albums. Oh. Uh, I think Night in the Ruts doesn't get enough of credit, and there's some good stuff in Rock and Hard Place. Oh. So, yeah, so I, I love those albums. I saw, no, I, I saw that tour as well. I saw the uh, um, Rock and Hard Place tour, and that I tell you what, that was an incredible tour. That was a great show. That was a great album. Um, that is a great Aerosmith era, uh, and very, very similar in many ways to the Creatures of the Night era. Kiss, it's you know you got a couple of original guys out, but the the band wrote an incredible record that didn't get anywhere near its due. Um, the songs are great songs. Even now, if you listen to that record, it still sounds fresh and aggressive, unlike anything they've released since. You know, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. and and it, it, same thing, Alice. I'm not a fan of all at all of the trash record. I like that song. That song is okay. I hate the song Poison Drive. It just because it it's it's Alice following a formula. Yeah. And that was the one thing Alice never did. You know, even with Dada and all that, he's marked. I mean, he's putting out music that I don't know he's putting out, and I like it. But as soon as I heard stuff like Poison, I'm like, oh Christ, that could have been on you know Europe album. <laughs> <laughs> very much well if they'd hired desmond child i guess it could have been yeah, yeah it had nothing to do with alice cooper and i can't i couldn't stomach it and i'll be honest i much like i did with with aerosmith i gave up on alice for a couple of tours until brutal planet it's funny you funny that you say that because uh yeah after i guess i saw the hey stupid tour but then for a little while i was like no i don't I, you know i'm not really feeling it but brutal planet that came back, and then I guess because he was surprisingly playing in New York on Halloween, I'm like, well, I have to do that, and that sort of brought me back in, and I only had just gotten the album, and I'm like, actually, this is what I want Alice Cooper to sound like, Brutal Planet, I mean, you know, and I was like, I, I don't know I don't know where this guy's been the last 10-plus years, but uh, I, 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 still, I still end up seeing him probably almost every year, you know, because he's, he's always out there, and it, it's always a fun time, so uh, I, I still enjoy it, but yeah, I know, he does always have to play Poison, and that song Lost in America that I, I'm not a big fan of, but he obviously likes, because he, he always keeps it in the set list, but, uh, you know, and well, the only problem I have with that is it's uh, it's an Elvis Costello. Elvis Costello did that song better. 
I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> pump it up. That's the same yeah. song. Rip the whole thing off. That's, that's very true. Um, one of the things I, I want to get wanted to get back to Kiss because uh, it sort of ties into Alice Cooper. Um, your wife Liz is kind of like an unofficial member of the Three Sides of the Coin show. Was mm-hmm. Kiss a hard sell for her, or was she already a fan, or was it one of those like, look, you have to understand, I'm really into this band. Uh, the, the latter. <laughs> no, but I tell you what, I, I do remember. I remember this vividly. You know, we first met. She, she, we met, and I was playing in a local band here. And we, you know, pretty good following, and, and she went to a few shows, and I liked her generally just because she wasn't a band chick. You know what I mean? And those are the kind of girls I was meeting mostly. Rock, and there's nothing wrong. Well, I still love rock chicks, but I mean, that's, you know, also at that time, you know, you want to start having family and stuff, and you know, you want to kind of meet someone sane. So it was, uh, you know, she went to a couple of our shows, and then you know, next thing I know, we're you know, we're friends, and then then we're dating. And I'm like, well, <laughs> this was odd because I was like 22 and my bedroom was still covered in kiss posters. <laughs> so when she comes to my house, I'm like, look, there's this thing I like. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and keep in mind, this is 1988. So, you know, this isn't, uh, inter- there's no internet. There's, there's, you know what I mean? And to have someone walk into a, your bedroom and it's wall to wall kiss, you know, <laughs> I just wanted her to know. And I remember, I think it was in 1989, because we weren't married yet. We went to a KISS convention. And I just, you know, I'm like, this is what I what I do. I, but see, I also collected everything else. You know, I was also collecting Black Sabbath and Ozzy and Deep Purple. And all. You know, so I always went, I took her to records. It was a matter of fact, if you ever get a chance to, to meet my wife, we used to, on dates, if you want to call it that, every weekend we'd go out and, We'd hit all the record stores because I knew all the record store owners because I was in there all the time. And, you know, and to this day, you know, we're going to the indie convention in a, in a month or two. And, you know, we go on the Kiss Cruise every year. Well, some of those people that have, you know, on the Kiss that we see every year on the Kiss Cruise, some of those people were pen friends of mine in the 80s. You know, we never got to meet. The only time we met was, you know, finally when they had the Kiss Cruises because I never went to Europe and they never came here. Because I was also writing for Kiss fan magazines, you know, fanzines. I mean, I, Kiss was just a big part of my life. Yeah. And you know, when my wife met me, you know, it, that didn't go away. And now it's, you know, my, you know, well, this is our second house. We, our first house, I took up the whole basement, my Kiss collection and posters and everything. And when we moved into the house we're in now, my wife said, "Can you do me a favor?" And and we have a great relationship. She's like, "Can you just build a room?" <laughs> a big house um and i have a very big basement and i built a very decent sized room i mean most people would think it's an extremely big room and guess what the whole basement's kiss again (laughs) i I got my room and well just because there's just so much of it but we also get people um a lot a lot of our our neighbor friends will have like friends that are kiss fans and they'll just stop by in the summertime. Is this the Kiss House? I, you know, so and so down the street said that you're like a really big Kiss fan, and I'd be blown away if you if I saw it. I'm sure <laughs> people down here, and they kind of like lose their mind. And so, but I mean, Kiss Kiss is a big part of of you know my my kids have seen Kiss, my kids have met Kiss, and uh, I've been good friends with Eric Singer for many years. He's a 
great friend. And I tell you what, speaking of Eric Singer, take the fact away that he's, you know, the drummer kissed. He's an incredible human being. He's just a great, great guy. I'm proud to call him friend. And, uh, you know, he's just a good, decent, honest person. And, you know, long after the makeup's put away, we're, we're still going to be chatting about drums and music and current events. And he's just a great, great guy. So... Well, and that's um, al- that's always what you like to hear about uh, you know everybody in the band. But uh, no, that's great to hear. And of course, uh, Eric Singer was the drummer. The first concert I went to because he was Alice's drummer before. Yes, he was in I was. Uh, I was going to bring that up. You know, you saw yeah. him on, on the I, trash. Yeah, well, I, I, the first time I ever saw him, and I first time I saw Eric Singer play drums was with Black Sabbath. Um, oh right, yeah. Glenn Hughes, Glenn Hughes of Deep Purple, only played in four or six or so shows with Black Sabbath before his drug problems just couldn't do it anymore. And uh, I saw one of those, you know, one of those few shows was in Detroit. And uh, Eric Singer was the drummer, and I remember this vividly, and as does my brother. I thought Sabbath was terrible, but I remember telling my brother, like, the new drummer's really good, you know. <laughs> and years later, we get to know, know one another. But again, you know, I'm big, just a huge music collector, and Liz was always... You know, she knew that was a passion of mine. And it was funny because I remember, you know, this little joke that she'd tell her, her parents or her friends, you know, because, you know, she's dating this big, long-haired rock and roll guy. And, you know, she's like, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke. He treats me really good. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I just like to collect records and, and posters and stuff. And yeah. I've since stopped collecting other bands like posters and stuff. I occasionally. I sold all of that stuff off for pennies on the dollar. I was still stupid. Uh, uh, when we were moving into this house, I didn't want to have to move it. When we were moving from our house where we used to live in, I sold all my non-kiss most of it. I still collect uh, Excuse me. I, I kept some of the prime, prime stuff. It's funny. One of them, one of my favorite posters, I have a poster of the Joe Perry Project's first record. It's a big poster. I just couldn't get rid of that one because I just, I just, I love guitar players. I, and I'm, you know, I've been playing drums for over 40 years and I'd give it all up to be able to play guitar. <laughs> yeah. Guitar. And I know way more about guitars than I do about drums. And I'm playing, you know, again, too, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not waving my own flag, but yeah, I've been playing drums for 40 years. I, I'm a good drummer. I'm, you know, I'm, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. But I, I just love guitars. To me, are just so boring. <laughs> yeah. No. I, look, I don't even know what it is that I do well. But if I could trade it all in to be able to play guitar, even reasonably well, just a mediocre guitar player would be so cool. Uh, just to sort of bring it back to uh, personally, so I had to kind of work my wife up to Kiss. When I met her, she was essentially a pop music fan, but she liked No Doubt and Green Day. And I'm like, all right, there's something there that I can work with. So I brought her to Alice Cooper maybe eight times, and like the fifth time, she was like, that was a great show do we have time for me to stomp off and buy a t-shirt? And I'm like, what? Yeah. Nice. That's, that's like, uh, you know, she'll hear this one day. So let me say that was second to her fine saying I do, you know, but that was such a big moment. I'm like, you want to buy an Alice Cooper? Yes, we will make the time. We, so what if we don't beat the traffic? Um, and then for kiss, we saw a couple shows on that tour with Def Leppard 
And then she went with me to a show at the Vegas residency, which was great. And then we saw literally three days before our son was born, was born our first son, who's now two and a half. We drove like more than an hour out to this Indian casino called San Manuel, and they were doing an acoustic show. So this is like we didn't know that our son was going to come early, but it's like, oh, imagine if she'd gone into labor there. But the funny thing about it, it sort of like bookends this thing. Let's just say that the show at Vegas was exactly like nine months from when mm-hmm. we went mm-hmm. to this show and uh you know it was like and she just thought it was cool to see them in that kind of setting you know i know they they do some acoustic shows but obviously the big live shows are awesome and you know i would say if you have to pick one of course see that but it's always cool to get to see that and i think it's great from just hearing you and other people talk about the kiss cruise it's like you get to see so much cool stuff that you know they're like well we know who we're playing for here so you know what we are going to throw in i after rock and roll all night stuff like that that you're like yeah you have your hardcore fans you don't you don't have a casual fan on the kiss cruise you know the the casual fans probably not going to the acoustic show see again i just because i'm the old goat here our, the very first Kiss Cruise we went on, the people next to us, the only reason they were on the Kiss Cruise is because they went on the first Kid Rock Cruise and had so much fun. They're like, this this Kiss Cruise sounds like a lot of fun. They weren't even Kiss fans. There are, there <laughs> That's are crazy. People on there. there are people on there that are just going because they know it's a big rock and roll party. I, I would, trust me, if I would never have set foot on a Kiss Cruise, I'd... I would have had that same thought that you did, but it's yeah. not. I mean, don't get me wrong. Ninety-eight percent of the people are diehard, crazy Kiss fans, but there are people who just saw how much fun it was and talked to the people. I also have a couple other friends who just do these rock cruises: the Monsters of Rock, the Outlaw Country, the Kid Rock. There's people that just like the experience that there's music going on. Yeah, I could see like the Monsters of Rock because there's so many bands on there that are great. But uh, yeah, I mean, but it just seems so strange to just go on the cruise because look, if I had the money, I would love to go on the Kiss cruise. But if I had the money, I'm I'm not going to go on the Moody Blues cruise just because it's a music cruise. You know, I'm going to go see a band that I'm actually a fan of, you know. Yeah, again, I thought it was the oddest thing. (laughs) Women were just like, oh, no, we went on the Kid Rock one and we loved it. (laughs) Okay, I just Uh, thought that was strange. You know, because again, on the first one, I thought, okay, everybody on here is just going to be, you know, a nutty fan. And and I met, you know, a handful out of the thousands, but I did meet a handful that aren't diehard Kiss fans. They just thought it looked fun. It it definitely looks fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and it sure. That's why I'm going to go back to my my what you said about your wife, and but that was with my wife. She she liked rock music. I mean, growing up here in Detroit, also my wife and I are the same age, you know, the radio stations and the concerts and, and all that stuff. So, you know, now she likes Kiss to a degree, um, knows the songs, has some of their songs on her iPod and whatever, you know, this thing that she uses now. So, I mean, I didn't, I certainly didn't turn her into a, you know, a crazy Kiss fan like I am, but, you know, I remember early on in our relationship, she said, well, you know what? Yeah, they're a lot better than I thought they were. And I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> they didn't, they didn't sell those records on accident. <laughs> the, the, I've always said, and you know, again, if you listen to three sides, I always say, if you're a fan of, if you call yourself a fan of hard rock music and you don't like kiss, it's because you didn't listen to them. Because if you 
claim to like bands like Bad Company and ECDC and Aerosmith. You're going to like Kiss. I mean, it's it's the music's fantastic. Music's what kept me. I mean, don't get me wrong, the bombs and the makeup and all that. That's nice trappings. But I wouldn't have stayed if I didn't think the music was great. Plain and simple. They write great songs. And I love their songwriting. And I love the tone of Ace's guitar. I love the tone of Vinny's and Bruce's and Tommy's. You know, I, I love all their playing. And all of them brought something to the tables. You know, from Peter Chris to Eric Hart to Eric Singer. There's stuff I love about all of them. And, you know, it's all unique and all part of the, the KISS DNA. Yeah, no, and definitely it's, uh, you know, I look, I was very excited. I sort of reawoke my excitement for the band kind of when they were on MTV Unplugged. Uh, they had Ace and Peter come out and then, you know, I couldn't afford to go on the reunion tour at the time. But then the farewell tour, I, I had enough money, so I went and it was great. I was definitely excited again. Uh, but I still feel like for me... I guess the best show I ever saw them do was the show on the Revenge Tour, just because maybe because so many of those songs were the songs that I knew and liked, and I really loved that album. Not that they're not great every time I've seen them, but just something about, I, I guess I just figured that seeing the four original guys was going to blow that away, but maybe it's because of the time that I saw them. You know, seeing them in 2000, it's fairly well documented that, uh, you know, not everybody had their A game every night. So uh, maybe that's why that one stands out for me so much. But uh, you were saying before about seeing the band now. I mean, the Vegas show was the last time I saw them, but it was such a good show, uh, and it's like an intimate setting. That's one of the best shows I've seen, just period. You know, And that it's so great that they ha they're still out there with these two guys that are honestly better than than uh i would say certainly better than peter would be now and you know at least better than ace uh, on on an average night so you know obviously that's not for everybody to agree with but i'm just glad that they're out there and the band is so good now uh, i always have fun kind of whenever i've seen them and you know whenever the next time is i'm sure i'll i'll um, i'll be right up there well for those people who just are like you know original four only look Pick up Sonic Boom, pick up Monster. Those are better than anything they did in the 80s, as far as I'm concerned. Because it sounds like this. they didn't bring in any co-writers. They Everything was done within the band. Gene played bass on all this, just like they did in the, in the early days. Gene played yeah. bass on all the, all the songs. Tommy played lead on all the songs. The last two Kiss records, studio records, Sonic Boom and Monster, I think are better... A hair better than Revenge, and I love Revenge. Uh, Revenge is like a 9 out of 10 for me. Yeah. But everything between them, from I love Lick It Up. I, that, you know, again, that's a, like a 9 out of 10. But Animal Eyes Through Hot in the Shade, it's just ain't my thing, man. Just, are, just, are there songs on that album that you're like, all right, I, I like a couple here and there, or just you're like, no, I just don't. Tell you what, it's very reminiscent of Aerosmith from Permanent Vacation on. I could probably pull together one pretty solid record out of yeah. the hundred songs that appeared on those records, you know, become, you know, cumulatively, if I said that, <laughs> probably didn't, but it's late and I've had a long day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I rode my bike for two hours. Oh, man. Well, I'm a big guy, but I'm very active. 
Well, I know, and you mentioned it while we're talking now, but I've heard you talk about on the show that you still play hockey. I'm like, wait a minute, isn't he in his early 50s and he still plays hockey? Like, you're more active than I am at 42. Maybe that's because I'm so tired, you know, picking up my kids, but, like, literally picking them up because they're two and a half and two months. But uh, <laughs> My son playing hockey. All the way my son played all the way up to, uh, to collegiate level. He played for college. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, hockey's a big deal. Matter of fact, I'll be honest, when, when I – agreed to do this i thought the wings game on was the afternoon game it's actually playing now so oh no well i'm i'm definitely want to blow you off and I'm look i i appreciate that and that's the sort of approach towards fans friends of the show things like that that maybe comes down from kiss so literally the last thing i wanted to kind of ask you about is about three sides of the coin which as i mentioned in the intro three sides of the coin.com uh I think that if people love Kiss, they're going to love the show. I think even if they like Kiss, they're going to like the show. Like, obviously, if you hate Kiss, don't listen to it. But there's those people oh, that no, are there. Because then Mike needs fodder. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there's people, well, I was going to say, those people listen, too, which I don't understand. They hate Kiss and they hate your show, but they're there every week. But well, let I, me tell you, we, we call it the stern factor because we get people who get so up in arms. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating this. We've had people wish us death. Death. Jeez. Because we didn't like like a record they liked or a song or how can you put I hope you die in an end they're serious. I hope you die in a fucking accident. How can you not like the elder? I'm like it's look, dude, if your life is so bad that you want you literally typed, I want you dead <laughs> because you don't like a record that I like. You really need to reevaluate your life. <laughs> you know, that's one thing when people get all up in arms about stuff. I'm like, look, I come you know, I call three sides of the uh, of the coin my bowling night. That's how serious I take. Don't get me wrong. I, no matter what I do, like I said, as a business owner and as a father and as a husband and a, you know, a family, I always try to do the best I can do for everything. But I also know my, my limitations. You know, that's another thing. People are like, oh, you don't ask the best question. You're not a great interview. And I'm like, when did I say this was a fucking journalism show? <laughs> I, I mean, if you know anything about three sides, what do we say? It's three guys sitting at a bar. Yeah. That's, that's all it is, man. So... Look, some weeks I'm here in my fucking underwear in my basement. <laughs> Just got home from work, throwing my hair up in a fucking you know, ponytail and throw it up under my fucking hat. And some days, you know, it's that, you know, some days we start at five, six o'clock. I haven't eaten since, you know, 11 in the morning. I get up for work, you know, at 530. You know, I could I could certainly think of think of easier things to do with my time, but I like doing this. You know, I mean, I'll. I'll I'm willing to wait to eat dinner late or, you know, yeah. not take a shower when I get home. I just, I like getting in front of the camera and talking to my, my, you know, my, my three friends when Lisa, you know, Lisa's a part, uh, Tommy yeah. and Michael. These are three people I absolutely adore. I love these guys. They're, they're family to me and we have a good time and we laugh and we have a, you know, and we have fun and we have our own little bits with one another and we talk to each other every day, you know, via or yeah. something we stay in close contact and we're three very different or excuse me four counting we're four very different people but when we get together you know it's that old thing they say they, they say chemistry because you know we're a very small segment meaning just you know kiss fans and the entire you know if you want to look at the entire of uh, the internet and stuff but within the kiss world of podcasting you know, we're by far the biggest show and i think we're by far the biggest show because we honestly want to be there and we're honest with everybody and 
again, it's the three guys in a bar. We're not telling people that we're going to give them the scoops of all this and we're journalists and we're this and no, we're three fucking idiots <laughs> sitting in a fucking basement talking to one another. And it's about as genuine as genuine can be. And I think that's one of the reasons for our success. We don't bullshit anybody and we don't pull any punches. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I love about the show, because like you're saying, it is just a group of friends who are out talking at the bar, and that's what I try to do when I've got my usual guys here on the Black Cast. It's just like, well, we're just going to talk about what we like, and I like that you guys are passionate, but also brutally honest when you're like, you know what, yeah, I don't, I don't like crazy nights, things like that. It's like, you don't pretend that you do, because I think people are going to be able to to smell that, you know, pretty much right away. And I, I just think it's great. And that's why it's so easy to watch. And, you know, it's like when you click on an episode and you're like, oh, wow, this one's like two and a half hours. It's not like, oh, I can't believe I have, you know, I have that much. It's like you're excited. It's like, wow, they really they really went went at it this week. And I think that's uh, always exciting. Uh, so my literally my last question is, you know, you've been on the show for three and a half years now. Talk about kind of being asked to step into a show that had already, you know, it wasn't as big as it is now, but it had already started. So basically, you're the Eric Carr of Three Sides of the Coin. You're the first unoriginal member. How did that feel to be asked, like, hey, do you want to join us every week? Oh, it, it, no disrespect to anybody. I've never watched a podcast in my life. I didn't even really. I mean, only the only reason I was aware of the podcast is that Tommy and Mike were my friends. Right. I met Tommy years ago at kiss conventions but in record shows but tommy was my cheap trick guy because again there was a band that i collected heavily and he was a cheap trick fan and he always seemed to have the best cheap trick audio and video now this is way back in the 90s um michael had kiss online and he was always at the kiss expos and mike knew that i liked video and whenever i'd see him at the kiss expos you know we'd sit and talk shop a little bit and and that was it you know Go back in time. They were just Facebook friends of mine. These weren't people I, you know, I, I hung out with all the time, but I just knew them. You know what I mean? And they, people I liked. And, you, you know, I was always posting, like, his stuff on my personal Facebook because that's who I am. And <laughs> I saw Tommy and Mike were doing a podcast, and I didn't think nothing of it. Whatever. You know, I didn't have time to watch it then. I was too busy working. Yeah. But, you know, I post kiss stuff all the time and and then when their one co-host left i was asked to like hey would you would you mind like doing like a three minute thing every week where you just show your collectibles and keep in mind they're friends of mine yeah sure i don't care so and i'm really really dumb with computers and stuff because i do <laughs> i do like asphalt and concrete and stuff you don't need a computer for that's <laughs> how i feed myself so so mike set it up where all i had to do was hit like record and stop and I could do these three-minute videos. You know, they asked me to be a guest on the show. I, I guess that's what the first thing they asked me if I'd be a guest on the show and just talk about collecting. And I did that, and I guess they got good response from the people. Again, probably because it's genuine and all that. And then they asked me to do those little three-minute segments just on collecting, and I did that for a couple weeks. And then they asked me to join the show. So I had nothing to compare it to. Know, to get to your question yeah so it was nothing overwhelming or you know anything because I, I i've also been playing in bands my entire life i'm used to getting in front of people i coached sports for years i'm used to getting in front of people and talking being a public speaker is very natural to me very easy and it says paul stanley likes to say you know i'm 
I'm not a ham. I'm the whole pig. I mean, so <laughs> I don't, I don't have a problem getting in front of people or talking or any of that stuff. I'm yeah. a very social person. So. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just, it felt like a good, a nice fit, but I mean, I knew nothing about podcasting and to be honest, I still don't. I just, <laughs> I show up and I talk and I leave. I mean, just like you asked me to do this, I show up and talking and I'm leaving. Leave. You know? Well, for not knowing anything about podcasting, you know, you and everybody do a great job, and I appreciate you also being a part of my podcast, even though you don't know much about podcast. Ball today, thank you. It was lots. Of, put it this way: if it would have sucked, I would have stopped it. You know, after 20 minutes or so, I've been very lucky because I've been asked to do a bunch of them. Yeah, I literally have, and and all of them. Everyone's been so nice and. It's so cool, yeah, you know, this one included, and it's just a lot of fun, you know. I, I really, I, I, I'm honored that you asked me. I thought it was so fucking cool. So. Yeah, well, you know, I, I had reached out to you a little while ago, and then we weren't able to figure out a schedule. But then you mentioned recently that you did some podcasts. I'm like, you know, let me just ask Mark again, and was really glad you said yes. And it just sort of reinforces the idea of, like, why everybody on the show is so relatable and why you, you just you like the conversation because you're like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I really appreciated that. And, uh, you know, my sort of joke on the way out is if you are Eric Carr as the first unoriginal member, I think it's appropriate that as the second unoriginal member, it would make sense that Lisa be Vinnie Vincent. <laughs> She's still a lot prettier than Vinnie Vincent, so. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, anyway, uh, Mark Cicchini, uh, one of the hosts of Three Sides of the Coin. Again, uh, if you if you like Kiss or even if you just like music in general, I uh, can't recommend it enough. You know, the recent interview with Michael James Jackson, he talked a lot about Kiss, but he sure talked about a lot of other stuff, too. So I was just like, anybody who likes music, a conversation like that is great. So you can find it at threesidesofthecoin.com. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for your time, for being so generous with your time on a Sunday evening. Sorry that I competed with the Red Wings game, but uh, I really appreciate it. Hopefully they're doing good. I'm, I, I, you know what? Because I wanted to be a good, good guest, I didn't have, like, I purposefully left my cell phone upstairs so i don't know how they're doing it okay. i didn't want to be uh, you don't want to be distracted by yeah, the i didn't want to be distracted i wanted to give you uh you know 100 percent right. well i really appreciate it thanks so much and thanks again to mark Chikini, and we will see you next time on the blackcast 